Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, I just did a podcast yesterday and here I am again doing another one today. I can't believe I'm on such a roll for 2019. But uh, here's the deal. A couple weeks back, I, uh, I braved it. I went out and uh, sat back and watched my young gun, VJ Jones, kick some serious butt at the SoCal Super and Sprint events and uh, kind of laying down the gauntlet, so to speak, letting people know that... Uh, there's somebody you got to worry about in the elite field this year that maybe they didn't worry about so much last year. I just got through telling them, VJ, whatever you do, don't get too cocky. People don't like that. And here I am just throwing all kinds <laughs> of smacked out. <laughs> I'm doing it for you. You know, I'm old because because I'm old, I can get away with a lot of crap. So uh, they, can, they can get mad at me if they want to. But we got to preserve your uh, pristine character going into this season. What do you think? Um. I'm with it. I'm with it. I don't usually like to throw anything in anybody's face usually. So I don't think it's going to be too much of a struggle for me. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> let's, uh, before we get started into other things, let's, let's talk about uh, how the weekend went. Now you went into the super and I think I, on social media, I, I've said more than a couple different times that having listened to the way you sounded that morning, that I told you, what are you doing here? Why are you going to try to do this? Cause you sounded <laughs> like crap. You were sick as a dog. Thoughts? Yeah, um, it was just, uh, yeah, I was sick the whole week leading into it. I mean, I missed our workout on Tuesday, and that was the first real day of, of not feeling well. But but throughout the week, I started feeling a little bit better, a little bit better. But the day before the race, I had to do a lot of interviews and stuff, and that really took its toll on my voice, which was already kind of going out. So I sounded pretty bad, and, and all the symptoms were, like, hitting me at the end of the illness here. So I had tons of snot and just wasn't wasn't feeling so hot but I knew that you know once you're like mile and a half two miles into a race everything kind of just fades out and adrenaline takes over and you can you can usually run through stuff but um but it, it was your advice that morning to not race you wanted me to pull out but I I still felt like I could I could have a decent showing so so yeah, yeah I thought it was a bad idea and then of course I was wrong you know <laughs> I, I'm terrible at betting on outcomes. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't know. Even when I think I know something, it, it just never works in my favor. So uh, I learned from it. I'm, I'm going to, if I hear you're sick, I'm all good. We've got a winning day. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I usually get sick at like once a year for a race. Um, so hopefully we got it out of the way early so we can be healthy at all the, uh, all the upcoming events. That'll be I would love to not have to deal with any illnesses for the rest of the year. That'll be perfect. Yeah. Now, going into Arizona, you've got this Nikolai to contend with again, right? This guy comes where? He was from Denmark or something? Where was he Yeah, from? he's he's Danish. He's a, uh, he's a monster. He's a pretty big racer in Europe, um, pretty well known over there. 
and he finally had the opportunity to come race in the U.S. And he just wanted like he says that there's like a bubble around the U.S. where they don't know about any other athletes except the ones here. So he said he wanted to pop that bubble and and uh, make a good showing for some of the European racers. And I think he did just that. He he's a really fast guy, very uh, very talented athlete. Um, I was very impressed at the way he raced, and and he dominated me for most of the race. Uh, on yeah. Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, I know some folks in Europe, <laughs> and it's true. We've got this terrible, terrible reputation of just assuming that we are it and the rest of the world is just like uh, kind of hanging out at the edges of the flat terrain. You know, we're not, we, we don't <laughs> give them any credit for anything. I, I had a guy uh, that I did a lot of stuff with also from, uh, actually, it was from Holland. And uh, I would ask him stuff like, well, what do you think of that LeBron James? You know, like, who? You know, what, what do you mean who? It's LeBron James. Uh, or Kobe Bryant. No, I don't, they don't even know who these people are. I mean, they've got their thing, we've got ours. And uh, But I appreciate that they're coming over here. I think that that, that stimulus is important. And, and I think that this guy was good for you this past weekend. He, he kept you sharp. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, um, when all was said and done, you know, I was really happy that they came through. Um, those both of them, it was uh, Nikolai and Leon were both uh, both like Danish Danish racers, kind of the two best from that country, I'm assuming. Um, and they came out and made a strong showing and, and beat a lot of uh, a lot of great racers from the uh, from the U.S. that showed up to SoCal. So they're uh, they are great athletes, but I was really excited to just get some different competition in there and it kind of a uh, kind of lit a fire under me to kind of have that sense of um well just a, a greater sense of competition there where i could have some international kind of racing action so that was it was an awesome weekend overall so going into arizona have you got any inside scoop on uh, who you think is going to show up for the elite field i mean i know some of the usual suspects are going to be there but anybody mm -hmm. that you've heard of coming that uh, may pose a bit of a threat um well other than you know Nikolai and Leon they're in Arizona right now they've been training in Flagstaff for the last week and they're going to train all the way up until that race so they're going to be there so they are always formidable but um in the elite field I'm not sure you know uh Isaiah Vidal showed up last year and he's uh I don't know what kind of condition he's in right now that would probably be his first race of the year so I'm not sure how he's looking I know Matt Novakovic is going to show up I don't I don't really know much about the guy, so we'll see where he's at, but I'm not too worried. And then, um, yeah, the main, the main people there are going to be Nikolai and Leon. Those guys are, those guys are monsters. So that's, that's who I have my eye on. And, uh, yeah, that pretty much. So you think Ryan Wood, given that he's going to be going to Florida, uh, may not show up in Arizona. He might pass. Yeah, it's a little far for him, too. I don't think he's that close to Arizona. I think he's closer to the East Coast. I'm not exactly sure where he lives. I think he lives but, in Colorado, um, doesn't he? I don't think so. Based on what I've, like, from his uh, Instagram and stuff, I haven't seen any anything that looks like Colorado from from him. That could be wrong. But, um, well, he's, I know he's more towards, like, um, he lives near Brian Gawiski. You know where Gawiski lives? Uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, more Midwest. As a matter of fact, um, I, I want to say he's in and around Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, so, somewhere over there. That's where. Yeah. That's where Woods is at. So, um, I don't think they'll come out. I don't think he's gonna do anything until Jacksonville. I think he's just preparing for that. I think he's very confident going into that based on what I've seen from him. So, um, yeah, nothing from him until then. Never heard anything from Killian. No, no, no. Uh, he doesn't usually, especially since the series is starting so soon now. He's not gonna. Uh, he's not gonna mess around with any small races until until the series starts. Okay. Well, I uh, I like you for this race coming in, and you know the goal is not to lose any races at all this year. <laughs> Always. So let's talk about uh, a couple things. I told you I had a surprise for you. I'm gonna spring this on you. But okay. This morning, while I was perusing the Instagram, I saw you put a little a little shout out, and you were running along, and you were chatting while you're running, and talking about your aerobic conditioning and the importance of aerobic conditioning. Right. And it, and it caused me to uh, drop your paperwork. So right, okay. right now in my hand is the uh, clinical reports from the VO2 test we did on you last time. And oh, that was a bad. That was a bad one. You got to do the one from two years ago. Yeah, my first I, one. I knew that was were, a good one. I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is, brother. <clears throat> Fair so uh, I'm holding the paperwork in my hand right now, and uh, let me just kind of run some stats here. At the time we did this test, it was June of last year. Mm-hmm. You weighed in 163 pounds. What do you weigh today? Less. I weigh less than that. Good. That means that the likelihood is your VO2 score is probably improved, even though you were fearful of having it done the last time we tested. Yeah, last time I showed up and um, I actually wasn't planning on doing a VO2. I was just planning on doing an RMR, so I was super, super sore. I worked my ass off the day before, so when I showed up and you were like, we're going to do a VO2, I was just ecstatic that that was going on. Well, I'm talking about the super clinic. I wanted to get a test on you just this past uh, January. And, you you know, oh, I don't know. I want to wait till I'm in better shape. You know, you gave me all that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I meant to get in your face about that a little bit because the idea is not to get the big number. The idea is to identify where things are so we know how to approach the training. And since you were spending so much time ranting about aerobic conditioning and the importance of it and all that jazz, I thought, why don't I just pull this information up and just kind of see what it is and maybe explain to people what this information is all about and why it's so important to have this information. So uh, during the test, in this particular test, since everybody wants to know about VO2 max, your VO2 score at this test was 73.2. Now, uh, I know that that was frustrating for you because the last VO2 test you did was, uh, what, 76.6? It was 77.3. I know it was something. I think the number gets big. It's like going fishing. you know. The no, fish... it, it was 77.3. I was just looking at the uh, All right. number the other day. Okay, fair enough. I'm positive. All right, fair enough. <laughs> but the point being is that you, you, you backed up a little bit, and that, that was frustrating for you. But at the end of the day, what's important to me is, as you were talking about this threshold and being aerobic and all this stuff, determining where this is, is so important. Not just because you're trying to stay aerobic during your aerobic treatment type training, but identifying where the threshold is because when you're doing your interval work, when you're getting over threshold, 
being precise with what you're doing over thresholds is really, really important as well. So I'm just going to run some numbers here for people just to give them a sense of what we're talking about. Now, your aerobic threshold during this test was 146 beats per minute. And uh, you were expending 941 calories per hour at that point in the road. And uh, I want to pull up the data here, 42.4. Okay, so the respiratory exchange ratio at that point was 0 0.81. So what that means, and I want to slow this down for people to digest what I'm saying. This means that when you're at 146 beats per minute, you're turning over 940 calories per hour. But mm -hmm. of those 940 calories that you're expending, over 66% of that energy is coming from fat stores. So if you just took the 900, rounded off 900 and subtracted 66% from that, that's, uh, ooh, what is that? that took, that's that's going to be about 600 calories is straight from fat and 300 of them is going to be yeah, from that's what I was just gonna know, say. our, our right. sugar. All right. So the point being is that you spared, more importantly, you spared 600 calories of the energy that you're, you're using because it's coming from your fat stores, which is infinite supply. You've got plenty of that to go around. Mm -hmm. So while you're rolling along at that particular pace, and I don't recall what the pace was, that's not important to me right now. Um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, at that level of intensity, your metabolic response is you spared 66% of the energy from fat. I mean, from sugar. That's big. Now, mm -hmm. the threshold came in at 156 beats per minute. So uh, I gave you a window of about 10 beats to play in. So if you hovered around 150 beats per minute on average, that would be a really cool spot for you while you're trying to get this aerobic treatment you, you were speaking of. Mm -hmm. Now, at 156 beats per minute, your exp expenditure is 1,022 calories per hour. And I'm going to go down through the report here and look at what that says. Uh, right about there. All right, so that's not too bad. At that point, uh, you sacrificed uh, you sacrificed about 20% of the energy. So call it about uh, call it about 45, 46% of the energy is coming from fat now. Now. What I'm suggesting to you, and it's important to keep in mind, is that now uh, we're looking at like double the calories are coming from your sugar stores, mm -hmm. right? So in a matter of 10 beats per minute, you shifted to using double the amount of calories from your sugar. Now, it depends on how far you're traveling and all that. If you're trying to figure this out, whether it's, it's uh, kosher to do this during a race, but the point of the matter is, is that you've just doubled the expense account by being at that 10 beats higher. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this to light is because what I'm indicating here is that just a matter of 10 beats and your perception during the work may not be that significant. You may not feel like, oh, really, I'm pushing hard now, especially early in the event. If you were doing, for example, a, 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 let's call it a super event. Mm -hmm. about three to four miles deep, your sense of effort won't be much different than it was at those lower caloric expenses or lower heart rates. 
But the fact of the matter is you're actually doubled the expense account. You're, you're, you're doubling up on your sugar use. So if you had right. to go longer, it's problematic. The other consideration is because you're using more carbohydrate, you're producing more lactate. So even though you're probably pretty good at clearing that lactate at that particular heart rate, it's starting to get insidious. You're starting to get to a place where you're not clearing the lactate as quickly. So if somebody was to surge on you around that point in time and you had to answer that call, now you're really starting to push into that lactate production and that potentially can cause problems for you. So mm -hmm. all I'm trying to get at here is the importance of identifying and understanding what this information is, what it means to you in your training, and how to put this information to use. And of course, because we work together so closely, you know, you've identified where is a cool place to be. And when you decide, okay, I'm going for a run, and the rule is today it's going to be aerobic, you're staying in that place. Right. So, so I guess what I'm trying to, kind of a twofold thing, I'm trying to give people a bit of a physiology lesson with respect to the effort that they're putting into their, their races. But I'm also trying to shed light on the importance of the, the way you approach your training because you're having winning results because you have been uber focused on making sure when the theme is appropriate to be aerobic, you're aerobic. And when you're not, uh, you're not. Fair enough? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I didn't mean to put on such a rant, but I, I, you, you got me started when I heard you kind of running along and said, all right, today uh, 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 I'm going to be aerobic. And, uh, 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 and then, you know, on Tuesday, I'm going to throw the hammer down. We're going to get intense. <laughs> you know. Hey, try keeping a train of thought while you're running. It's not really, <laughs> not really great. I have a hard time keeping a train of thought while I'm sitting in a chair. <laughs> so... Anyway, any comments about any of that? Um, that's just the real specifics of, you know, uh, what we do and, and, and why we do, why we go about it the way that we do. But, um, but yeah, I was just trying to, on my Instagram, just address a lot of the questions. A lot of people were asking, like, how much aerobic work and stuff ah. you're supposed to do. And a lot of people only do that with, like, their one long run and then, like, a recovery run every once in a while. But everyone thinks that just tons of intensity, all this real high heart rate, you know, over threshold training is where, you know, you're getting a lot of results when actually most of the results that I've seen in my improvement really comes from this, uh, this volume in that lower heart rate in that aerobic range, like just, um, spending so much time aerobically in the off season, I come in to the early season really, really strong, which is, really interesting because we'll do like one that one day a week on Tuesdays which is you know some higher intensity track interval based stuff but everything else that I'm doing is right about just aerobic and just getting time on my feet and that really makes me a, a stronger runner when it comes down to my racing and I'm sure you could go into, you know, the particulars of, of why that is and everything but I just want people to understand that most of the work they should be doing should be aerobic running. Well, so the, the caveat here is that from a general perspective, you're right. Uh, because most people never, ever, ever spend the appropriate amount of time developing their aerobic metabolism. Because their perception is when they're running along doing what they're doing, it's so normal for them 
and there's very little variation in their approach to their running, that they would assume that they're being aerobic because they're not taxed. But you could be at a low intensity anaerobic effort and not get the benefits that come from being aerobic. And so what I'm suggesting is the identification of that threshold is very important. And then just the, the typical responses that are unique to the individual. So in your case, I think starting out, you're, you ran pretty hot. You weren't that aerobic initially, but you still had a really good VO2 score. So the VO2 score is indicating that there's the potential for fitness, but mm -hmm. you really need to hone in on developing your aerobic conditioning, which allows you to get a little deeper into the races where, you know, coming up through school, whatever, you know, your races are typically, you know, 5K and less, where right. you start going into these longer efforts, it becomes more important that you have that aerobic metabolism in play. But at the same time, I'll have people that come in that are really aerobic by nature, just their genetic makeup lends them to be more aerobic by nature. And what they really need to do is start putting the hammer down because they don't have the capacity to tolerate that ensuing production of lactate and it typically will take them out early. So it isn't just a, you know, a statement you can make to tell everybody, okay, make sure you stay aerobic. It'll work for the masses, but there's going to be this guy that finds out that by doing that, he was actually retarding his potential to perform. So it's really important to find out how your body responds to work because there's so many other factors that are in play here that it becomes a very, very important consideration to know. And incidentally, that's why for the last so many years I've been traveling around the country not just looking at people's mechanics, but identifying the metabolism, finding out the mm -hmm. way their body responds to their work while they're doing what they're doing. So, you know, I don't want to sound like an infomercial, but I wholeheartedly believe in this and have been doing this for so long for that very reason. I just, I just know how important it is to these athletes to identify the way their body responds to the work they do, rather than just some generic, that was hard, that was easy, that felt good. I'm really sore. Uh, you know what I mean? That's that's people's perception of their efforts. They don't really have a sense of what they're doing. So, you know, going back to what you said about like doing the one long aerobic treatment, well, that dog won't hunt because you need to have your body conditioned. And, and that means uh, being exposed to the particular stimulus that you're trying to generate on a regular basis. So whether it's a function of uh, maybe putting in an hour every other day with a longer run on the weekend uh, to make sure that your body is constantly getting this aerobic influence to, to make a change because you're not going to get an adaptation just because you go out on a long run on Saturday. It's not going to work, especially if you spend five days a week in the gym doing a lot of high-intensity strength training because mm -hmm. then, then you're starting to mold your, your muscle fibers to be more dense and less porous and less capable of, of absorbing oxygen when when you're doing the things that you're you're hoping to do. So it's it's more it's more than just slow it down. I, I mean, you could take most people and slow them down and it'd be fine. The famous theme for this type of thing was Mark Allen. His identification where he was failing to win the Ironman year after year after year, and finally uh, he got some influence from uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone that slowed him down and kept him aerobic a lot. And because it was such a contrary influence for him, 
it actually had really great result for him, and he ended up winning Ironman and was the Ironman champion, I think, for six consecutive seasons. After wow. That. But he lost miserably trying to hammer through these races against guys like Dave Scott and Scott Tinley and, and the likes. And this, this goes back before you were born, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I'm just telling you, it's, it's fabled the way he would do an Ironman event and be rushed to the hospital, bleeding out of his nose and just completely dehydrated and gut-wrenched, nearly dead, because he pushed his body so hard. And his nature and his, his philosophy initially was to work hard and uh, overcome, you know, they used to call him the grip because he just did not relent. He would come after you and run you down as hard as he possibly could. And it was just a bad theme for him. And as soon as he figured it out, as soon as he figured it out and he started to learn that he needed to get aerobic, he started to really come, come around and win. So I just gave you a little bit of history lesson on triathlon. Oh, I, yeah, I, I had no idea who any of those names were, so that was that was cool. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I saw a thing on Facebook the other day where a, a guy was, like, having fun with his sons. I think his sons were, like, 17 years old. And he put a regular old spin dial phone in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind where you got to put your finger in the little thing and spin it around on the number? Yeah. And he said, uh, I'm going to give you four minutes for you guys to figure out how to dial this number. And they failed miserably. They, have, they were like two monkeys looking at, looking at a football and trying to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> they could not figure it out. They never seen one of these phones before. It's awesome. I think it's funny. But anyway, for whatever it's worth. So the, the rant for today was simply this. is uh, The success you're having is because you've come around to being a little bit more conscientious about the training approach. And it's starting to pay off. And... Uh, Obviously enough, with the work I do, I could see why this has been such a powerful asset for you. Yeah, I mean, um, since we started working together, it was kind of the uh, the turning point for me. Yeah. Just uh, kind of getting more understanding into the actual physiology of what I was doing and why I was doing these different workouts other than, oh, I need to run fast today. And today I'm just going to go for a, a little bit longer. Because... I mean, in high school, it didn't really matter. It was just about getting my speed up enough to, you know, run, run a mile as fast as I could. So, um, this has definitely changed. My goals have changed, so uh, the training has changed a lot, and it's really, really paid off. Obviously. Well, a lot of people, again, their training is really about pass or fail. That was a good workout. That was a bad workout. And they're not really putting the pieces together in a synergistic and progressive fashion and with an understanding of what the elements are and when they need to be applied. And that's what's keeping them from succeeding. You, you might have somebody that has all the talent in the world, but they're just, they're just screwing it up and they, and they can't seem to figure it out. And that's problematic. And I see it all the time, especially when I've tested people. Everybody that usually when they come in for a test, the only thing they have in their mind is not to look like a sap because their because their VO2 score was low. <laughs> and what I'm looking at is how efficient their body is with whatever they, they can bring to the table. So I want to see a good aerobic potential. I want to see the ability to, to survive in, in a relatively toxic environment. So when they start to build up with lactate, how they contend with it. And then... From that information, you can start molding your training. You start to figure it out. 
you know, I'll tell you the other thing that I find interesting, and, and this is like from having 25 years of being involved in this business, is that uh, we're so impatient. You know, we tend to be very, very impatient. We're not willing to do the things that we need to do sequentially to get the result <laughs> that, that may not come for a while. So, you know, the obvious thing is when I have people doing like an aerobic time trial, and they're going, oh, man, that was so slow. Oh, I can't believe how slow that was. And then they just give up on it because they figure it's stupid. They just, this is, how could this make me faster? There's no way this is going to make me faster. Uh, i give you an example, and, and uh, this is someone that I've just taken on as a client that was at my super clinic. I don't know if you had a chance to talk to him, but his name was Dylan Pullman. Um, I probably did. I, I don't. I didn't really get names from a lot of people, but I, I pretty much talked to everyone at one point or another. Yeah, well, he's the guy that came in from Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, he's been following this Crush the Run program that I did, the 16-week uh, training program to get better at uh, a beast distance event. Yeah, I was going to mention, that's probably the, the best example of forcing people into that aerobic conditioning and, and seeing the results really pay off when they just stay true to it rather than giving up too soon. Well, the, yeah, the interesting thing about it, and I'm not going to use any names unless it's positive, right? So we got 65 people in that program. And initially, when the program seems kind of lame, where the intensities are not that great and the volume is not that great on any particular workout, but it's a collective process where the, there's progression in the work, there's intent with the, the lineup of the type of work they're doing. You have people that looked at it and go, eh, you know, this doesn't seem like it's going to work so they give up on it and then you got the guys that just trust the process and and do what they're supposed to do and then you start seeing the results they're getting and i was getting ready to say like in dylan pullman's condition and mind you i didn't know him before he started doing this work and even during the work for the first 10 weeks i still didn't know him but i look at his results on his time trials and right now he's running aerobically a 6.23 pace for 10 miles. Wow. Aerobically. So try to imagine that while he's chilling, he's keeping his heart rate down, he's really managing the cost of effort, he's covering 10 miles at a pace that most people have trouble holding for, for five miles. That's, uh, that's faster than my aerobic pace. Well, what I'm getting at is that when he starts to, I'm really curious to see what happens when he starts racing this season and he gets challenged to, to push into a beast distance event and he starts throwing down. Let's just say he, he moderates his effort so that he's kind of chilling for the first five or six miles and still holding around a 630 pace when he's running. Mm -hmm. And then he gets pressed. So he, he starts to drop the hammer and he starts dropping into that sub six minute pace, you know, even though the cost is going up, but he's conserved his energy stores in the early parts of the event, he's going to be somebody to watch for. Yeah, absolutely. And now I don't know what it looks like when he gets on an obstacle, but I know that if it's just a foot race, he's going to be a problem for a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, it also depends on, you know, the course and everything. If that was flat, cause I mean, Hills, hills really do change everything sometimes you're running aerobically and you'll you'll hit a hill and you'll slow your pace down by you know two and a half minutes three minutes and your heart rate's still above your aerobic range 
Well, but so the, there's the, that. Yeah, but the point is, is that when you get to that hill, if you've been conserving your energy pretty well, if you're not all acidic when you hit that hill, that makes a big difference. So let me be clear. Let's just say that he's rolling along at that 620 pace and all of a sudden he hits a hill. He's got a lot of oxygen in the muscle. He's clearing the lactate production very nicely. So he hits that hill in maybe a better condition than the guy that was pushing and was acidic even on the flats. So let's just say you're 10 minutes away from blowing up because you've got so much lactate in your legs that you certainly didn't need to, to hit that incline. Where he's coming at that incline clear, where he can get into it, he might be 20, 30 minutes before he runs into a problem with it. Who knows? Uh, it's a hypothetical scenario, but the point of the matter is, is that the cooler the body is running when it runs into that hill, the more likely you're going to survive it. I actually experienced that this weekend. Um, we were pushing pretty hard right out of the gate, and Nikolai was just staying with me, and he, he had a plan that once they were 5K into the race, he was going to push and try to break me, and he did. As soon as We were on the flat, and I was pretty much you know, almost to the breaking point. And then we hit a little, a little incline and he just took off from me and I tried to hold with him and it, and it really, it, 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 I blew up about three miles into the race and I just started falling back from that point. I just could not hang with him from that, from that moment. So I was pretty much at the top of my, uh, of my sustainability on the flat. So as soon as we hit a hill and he pushed a little further than that, I, he, he broke me. Well, he didn't break you because you won. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I came back later in the race, but I, I knew I had to slow down or else my whole race would be over. So I actually had to, like, recover mid-race so that I could make a stronger showing later on, which is odd, but it worked. Did he uh, Did he struggle with the Herkhoist? He might have. I'm not sure. I think He wasn't as fast as I was. I was probably one of the fastest in the uh, – in the weekend on that thing, I got my technique pretty dialed, but, um, no, the main thing he struggled with was the tire. The tire was just, uh, a little, a little more than he was expecting. I think they got bigger tires I, here than they do in Denmark. They do. They definitely do. Yeah. I flipped it in, you know, less than 10 seconds and he was, I flipped both flips before he got his first over. So he was, he was struggling with that, and that's what really gave gave me the win. But I closed on all the obstacles in the second half. It, basically, what crushed me was I wasn't ready to just run that much. It, the whole first five miles of that race was purely running. There was a couple, like, little, you know, hop over the wall or, or like, it was like one obstacle a mile until we hit the last five miles, and then everything was condensed. And once we hit all that, I was – cruising right through we hit the carries i closed up on all the carries and uh flew through all the obstacles so that was that was really where i made up my ground but when it was just all running like that that's where i kind of fell apart so wow. obviously i need to to work that i saw him i never i never had a chance to speak with him i i just didn't really at the time know who he was mm -hmm. um but i did see him i was close up close with him what do you figure he weighs Oh, he's light because he's not—he's not very tall either. I, I put him at about 145 pounds. Yeah, if that 140. I was yeah. gonna say 140. Yeah, he's a pretty light, dude. But um, 
yeah, he good strength to weight ratio. But the thing is, he's really, you know, he's more of that European style obstacle racing where it's a lot of rigs and body weight, uh, body weight kind of obstacles, not a lot of big, heavy, heavy lifting. And the more American style is less of the rigs and more of the heavy carry type stuff. Well, that's going to be a problem for him. You know, obviously. Well, yeah, but he's he's identified where his weaknesses are, so he knows what he needs to do. But then again, you know, how is it going to be when you drop some Americans in that uh, that really technical OCR type of event in in his world? So we we each have our strengths. So it's uh, I'd be interested to see how it would be if our roles were reversed. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Ryan Wood's dilemma early on, where. He was so fast that everybody was threatened by his speed, but he would fail obstacles. And yeah. Then he focused on getting his strength, and that made up the difference for him. So for Nikolai, identifying that if he's going to race over here, he's going to have to have more strength. Uh, we're talking about a season of development to get to a place where he can actually you know, handle these heavy carries and, and these tire flips in order to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He'll, he'll get a field where... Like this one, he has a chance to, to use his legs and outrun people, but he gets into a more balanced event. It may be a problem. I, mean, I don't know with the hill climbs. I don't think in Arizona he's going to have a shot if there's the, the same type of problems that he had here in SoCal. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how, if I can race him feeling really healthy and good, how that'll change my running. I don't know if the if my you know, sickness affected my running too much or not. So I'm interested to see how that goes. But um, if it is a more balanced event, more even obstacle spread, I think it'll it'll just play into my favor a little more. Well, on Tuesday, we're going to have to work some speed. I'm down. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> I know you are. But we need, and, we need to get after that. I think that going into Arizona, that's going to be the thing that matters. Yeah, um, I was actually going to ask you, in uh in sense of putting you know like how we've been talking putting aerobic work in if i want to add more intensity during the week would it be something to do to um maybe do you know the track training type thing in the morning or hill repeats type of thing but then in the evening add a second run of you know 45 minutes to an hour just to get some aerobic conditioning as well well, you can do uh, you could do a, a, a double workout, and I think the way you line it up is that the intensity should probably come first, mm-hmm. and, and then the second run be more like a recovery run to help clear some of the metabolic waste out of the muscles. Because what happens when you're sore, it's just basically muscle damage, this micro trauma to the muscle fibers, and when you sit around for a while, that's when the soreness kind of shows up. Because you're still kind of congested. A lot of people are under the impression that this is lactate building up in the muscles. That's why you're sore later. That has nothing to do with it. The soreness comes from damage in the muscle. So if you're going to double up, you might come back later in the day, say like 6 o'clock in the evening, and do like a half an hour aerobic cleansing run just to kind of balance things out. Yeah, that, that was what I was uh, what I was thinking would be good to do on my uh, like more intense days. And should I start maybe doing two days a week of an interval type thing? Well, not, I wouldn't do it next week because your race is the next weekend. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah, for sure. Not, not uh, this week, but on a daily. Yeah. After that race, after that race weekend, we'll, we'll start looking at doubling up and, and, 
you know, I, it's always been my goal to get you up around that 60 mile a week range. 50, 50, 50. I, did you yeah. say 60? You said 60. I'm saying 50. I ain't going to 60 miles a week yet. Yeah. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll discuss it. You know, when you get to 60 and it feels good to you, then we'll talk about this again. You'll say, wow, I didn't think that was going to feel that good. Yeah. I just, I don't know if I want to double my mileage. Um, I mean, after last year, I was averaging like 32 or 34 miles a week. It was super low mileage. So if we bump me up to 50 and I'm getting that kind of volume in, I think uh, I think that's going to pay off a lot and really make me a more formidable uh, well, I, I'll tell you, let's, let's make a deal. I won't do the races if you try not to do the coaching. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. You let me make the decisions about what you should be doing. And you just go do it and, and win and then thank me later. But I'm not going to put you in a situation where it's contrary to what you're capable of. And I, and I really believe that the thing that we haven't even discussed here is the fact that your running skill right now is so impeccable that I don't recall you talking about any telltale issues with the knee, the shins, the calves, the hips, all of the stuff, stuff that is keeping people from getting volume you're not talking about anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm not really having any issues every once in a while. The only thing I have is cause, uh, I have pretty low arches and I'll, and I'll skip out on my, you know, uh, stability drill and exercises for a while. And then my arches will somewhat get sore on like long climbs or if I'm doing any kind of heavy carries, my arches can kind of start getting more more sore than anything else and i can feel it during my work so then i just add in my uh, those uh those stability drills and stuff that we uh we do normally and it usually will handle um handle a lot of that issue but um as in running form and everything in my mechanics i've you know i put a lot of work in when we first started working together to make sure that you know i was i was following the rules yeah. and uh it's it's paid, paid off. off. I don't have any have any real injuries. The only time I get hurt is when I like fall down or something. Well, you've identified the enemy in this is if you slack off on the mobility and stability drills that we talked about, mm-hmm. it's a problem. You only need to spend if you spent five minutes of dedicated work, uh, the things that we were doing with the the stick mobility. I think mm-hmm. that's huge, man. That is such a big benefit. And, and by the way, I've been doing it lately. The other day I did it and I just trashed my shins by by getting up on my toes so often and doing those drills. I was surprised how sore I got from doing that. You know, the idea, as you suggested, is you start to, when your arches start dropping on you under load, that's where all the other issues start coming in, the plantar fasciitis, the issues with the knee, the whole thing. So that's really key. I'm glad that you identified that being as an asset because now we're going to keep that in play. Absolutely. All right, so any parting thoughts before we shut this down? Um... No, I mean, uh, you kind of covered all the bases about what we kind of wanted to address today um, in our our metabolic conditioning. But um, yeah, I mean, if people can get more specific in their training, know where their zones are, either through, you know, like some form of testing or what have you, um, I think it really makes a difference versus, you know, kind of following a general training plan that's kind of like a one size fits all type of thing. It just, it won't pull the results that you can, it, it won't get you to your potential, you know? So, um, I'd say that's the, the motto of today, just 
be more specific to your own needs. I like that. And any shout out? Anybody you want to give a mention to? Shout out. I mean, other than other than you, not right now. I mean, <laughs> you've you've been kind of the uh, the key to success lately, helping me with my training and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just no real sponsors yet. Uh, I'm talking to a couple people, but um, I'm not trying to uh, to sell my soul to anybody for you know, a couple of bucks. I've, I've done that before and I don't, it doesn't leave me with a good, uh, a good feeling. So I only want to work with people that I really can support and get behind and, and things that, you know, you won't get mad at me for using. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, that's You know what? It's critical. I mean, you know, I got your back in all this and it's important that you, you have the latitude to dedicate the training as necessary in order to actually have this be a legitimate pro sport, you, these athletes need to get to a place where they can earn enough money to do this like an occupation. And, you know, making $20,000 a year in the sport and spending $30,000 trying to get to the races you need to do is not what I would consider uh, a successful model for being a professional <laughs> athlete. Probably not. And I know that there's some professional athletes going to listen to this and they're going to get a chuckle from me having said that because. They've been living that life for a while, you know, getting paid a little and spending a lot to be able to perform. Yeah, it's really the uh, the struggle right now. But things are getting better. You know, um, the sport is growing. And, and what's really the important growth that's, that has to happen is the media coverage, you know, that, that opportunity to have televised events. Once television comes, that's when the money comes, you know. So um, I think that's, that's really just what we're uh, – what we're all waiting for and working towards so we can, uh, so we can all benefit from the sport and the sport itself can benefit from it as well. So well, it's kind of a, a waiting know, game, at least for me at this point. On that note, and I didn't want to carry this on, but since you brought it up, I think that uh, you're talking about media coverage. We've had plenty of media coverage in the sport in the last two years. The, I mean, more so than almost any other new sport. However, what, what I think the pitfall is in all of this is that you get these producers and directors that get into the fray and they want to remodel the thing because they want to mm -hmm. make it they want to make it look like they think the audience wants to see it and i think it it casts a false perception of what the sport's all about you know kind of putting it in a studio and you know having these scenarios and the all the the wow wow oh, poor me yeah you know my yeah my, yeah i i can completely agree with that i feel like a lot of more um sport fan or uh even the elite athletes when we were watching the older spartan race broadcasts were really um kind of disappointed because they showed a little bit of the race and then it was all these um you know lifetime specials about people uh you know making their way through this obstacle course which is fine you know if you want to show people like overcoming their their struggles in life and stuff, but then you can make, you know, like an episode or, or, or a series on lifetime called like Spartan strong or something. But if you're going to broadcast Spartan race and try to represent the sport and the competition of the sport, then you can't be, you know, mixing in all these, uh, all these like sob stories and stuff into it. Let's show, let's show the action. Let's show the sport as it is, you know, like, yeah, well, look, we, look, we want to see some racing. You got Super Bowl weekend coming up. Now, do you think these commentators are going to take all these players aside 
and find out about their dog that's recovering from a broken leg and, <laughs> and, and the fact that they've had a drinking problem and they've overcome that, you know, substance abuse. They, they're not going to do all that. They're, they're going to talk about skill. They're going to talk about who's potentially going to win, who's why they're going to lose. They're going to talk about the game. And I think that's what they need to do in this sport. In triathlon, same thing. They cover the athlete's effort. They cover the potential for success or failure. They don't talk about, well, you know, the guy's going through some trouble and it's, you know, so wonderful for him to be here because his mother's been <laughs> sick and he's been trying. You know, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I don't want to sound like such a douche about people, you know, getting through hard times, but you just changed the complexion of the sport. I want to look at it like, wow, this is a great athlete. This is why he's a great athlete. This is what his training looks like. Look, he's winning. Look, he's losing. Let's talk about the sport. And that's the kind of media coverage we need. They turn it into a circus. They turn it into a stupid freak show. And then you're losing respect. You're just not going to get the respect when people look at you like some crybaby because you had all these issues, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, they are doing better. Like when you looked at what Tough Mudder X did and now with the new Spartan broadcasts on ESPN, much more um, racing action standard kind of sport broadcast. So I think uh, I think things are going well and it, it, it all seems to be uh, moving in the right direction. Well, I appreciate your optimism. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm just telling you for the success of the sport, the success of the athletes, there needs to be a sense of taking serious these athletes' performances. That's all I'm saying. So when, it, when, it, when Nike looks at you and says, you know what, this is a great athlete, this is a great sport, we've got to take this seriously, we're going to throw VJ $100,000 a year so he can do what he needs to do to continue to win. And then, yeah, right. And then, you know, then I can start taking like 10% of everybody's uh, you know, winnings <laughs> so that I can pay my bills. <laughs> anyway. All right, so that's it. Uh, one last thing I want to touch. We are going to be in Chicago doing a clinic there. We were there last year. Amazing venue. Great place to do this type of thing. Look at your dog's excited. I heard uh, you. Yeah, I heard. Said, I heard. Whoa, clinic, I'm coming. <laughs> but anyway, if you guys want to get a bit of this information and you're in that neck of the woods, get to Chicago. Sign up for it now naturalrunningcoach.net sign up for chicago we need some more bodies there new jersey sold out don't even call me about that i can't put you in no matter what and then we got the super clinic coming back here in june which was a hoot was that not a hoot um i wasn't there but i i heard it was quite the hoot what do you mean you weren't there in new jersey no the super clinic Oh, the super clinic was stoking. I finally made it to the second day of the super clinic and we got to uh, roll around on the beach and run up sand dunes and crush some trail runs. It was quite a uh, quite an experience. Yeah. Well, that's going to happen again in June here. And uh, I've been telling people this and I don't know whether they believe me or not, but I'm about to shut down my travel dates. I don't think I'm going to travel too much next year or this really? year. Really? No, I think I'm going to start honing it in. People want to hang out with me. They're going to have to come see me here. Well, um, the demand is definitely there. So, all right, all right, VJ. I will see you uh, on Tuesday. Um, Absolutely. Should, should we make a prediction for the Super Bowl? I never do that. Um, you know, I, I'm from LA, but I mean, how do you 
how do you bet against Tom Brady? That's what I want to know. Like, how do you, I I don't know how people, like, I know so many people, you talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, he sucks. It's like, yeah, yeah, Tom Brady sucks. Tell me, (laughs) tell me about how that makes any sense. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're both of us are on the same page there and I typically don't, you know, get too involved in betting on it. And you, you heard me before I, I bet terribly. So I'm not going to say, yes, the, the Pats are going to win or the Rams are going to win. I'm just going to shut up and watch. Sounds good. That's, that's about all you can do. All right, man. I'll see you Tuesday. All right, coach. Thanks, everybody. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network, drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.